The accounts shared on this podcast, including this episode, reflect the guest's thoughtful recollections and opinions of experiences perceived and occurring over many years, including childhood memories, which may be fallible and limited by perspective and trauma. Persons may have different memories regarding certain events. This episode of Kava the Podcast is sponsored by Little Red Flower Truck. Coming soon to the DFW Metroplex, the Little Red Flower Truck. Fresh flowers by the stem. Create your own bouquets. It will bring beauty, relaxation, fun, and joy to your life. Follow the new adventure and transformation of the Little Red Flower Truck on Instagram at Little Red Flower Truck. Welcome to the final chapter of the Archibald Brothers story. I didn't I didn't ever see what she did when I heard the door close. My it wasn't like, okay, is she just still there? Is she now gonna see that I'm over here? And turn this way. Our last episode ended with a gun pointed at young Richard's face. I just yeah, remember you coming around. there, but it all happened. Yeah. I mean, it was split seconds. Uh, Did we have on shoes? I do not know. I don't, I don't remember. I'm, I'm, it wasn't unusual for us to be barefoot, remember? I mean, I, yeah. we always went barefoot, so I don't know. But I don't. Well, Mike and Richard fled for their lives before their stepmother could pull the trigger. Little did they know what they would come home to. Welcome back to Kava. When we made it to Joey's... Uh, it wasn't like his dad was there. Mm-mm. So it was kind of good. I mean, it wasn't, I don't, I don't know what would have happened if Mr. McCowan would have been there. Boys, y'all can't stay here. We need to take you back to your place. You know. So well, did you tell your friend what had just happened? I, we did. Okay. We did. But, you know, we, I had confided in Joy many times. And I don't know what you talked to Tim and them about. But they knew, I know for sure that Mr. McCowan... And Joey, they knew the kind of wrath that was going on. Wow! But they're they're just you know this is a this is a, a kid, and we're not a kid at this point. I mean, I'm I'm going to be a freshman in high school. But I do remember that Helen had gotten other than the the car episodes, uh-huh. her, her ability to really function had diminished tremendously. Following serious problems in her marriage with Kenneth Archibald, the boy's father, Helen realized she was losing this battle. After she lost her cool and nearly shot her stepson, she called out to the boys as they ran away, begging them to come back. But they ignored her, taking shelter at the McCowan home, where their friend Joey lived. But we made it at Joey's house. That seemed to be a long walk, but uh, kind of a invigorating. Oh, me. yeah. It was because we, we were like, we were just. Yeah. The leash is off, her. And, uh, and we didn't falter a minute with that boys come home. It wasn't even right, like a, right. Well, and you knew that your dad was leaving her, so he's yes. on your team. We, 
we heard, heard that before, right? Yeah, we so times. it we we hoped. Yeah, but what was this? Do you remember? Thank God it's Friday. Yeah, Saturday. Because yeah. Saturday was the day that we were supposed to go. Yeah. But I remember him basically saying, okay, I'm going on this trip. I need you guys to find somewhere to be. Because when I come back, I'm loading up and leaving. And then I will gather you guys later. Mm. So is Ken at this dinner? I believe so. Okay. I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, that... Because Ken had come to help us at McCown's, too. Okay. I don't know how we reached him, if, but, you know, unlike we had cell phones or anything. Right. So, hold on. Those days that you were back there, mm-hmm. was that so frightening? I honestly don't remember that. Okay. It's as if there's times that I just, they're not there anymore okay. for me. I, I don't know what happened. Okay. Uh, I don't know if it was... I couldn't tell you. Yeah. While Kenneth Archibald may not have expected Helen to pull a gun on his son, he certainly expected all hell to break loose when he told her he was leaving her. So he came up with a plan for his boys to be away when he confronted her. And you had a a McAllen trip? Yeah. So I was going to go with Joey for um, really a solid week Mm -hmm. and weekend. So I was going to leave like on a on really a Monday, me and Joey and his dad, uh, and his little brother Jeffrey. We all went down in the car to Shreveport to visit his grandfather and grandmother. Okay. Think and he arranged that? I don't know, but I, I probably there was no asking Helen. No, I mean you were just you were going there during yes. this time frame. When the boys returned from the McCowan's house after the gun incident, they were thrilled to hear what their dad had planned for them. I can remember both of us going back, though. So whenever we went to Joey's house, both of us ended up back at 305 Margot. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when we would just, uh, we would sing that song together. I, you, would, you would start it, and I would kind of finish it. The movie, Thank God It's Friday, mm-hmm. was out. And you had that, thank God it's Friday. And I'd stop and you'd go, Saturday. Yeah. Because we were moving that Saturday. So we were we had our own little internal chant, our own internal countdown. Yeah. We were, we, we, our days were numbered. and that, That's right. Mike went to Shreveport, Louisiana with the McGowans, and Richard went to Lake Tawakini in Texas with the McDonald's. We saw like the minor league baseball. We got to go on a houseboat for a couple of days, do some fishing. Um, just all kinds of neat things. We mm-hmm. we found his cigarettes. And we we smoked for the first time out on some little tree around the corner. And you you it may have been went, your first time together, but I don't think it was your first time. Smoking. Oh no, I'm just saying. I mean, I had a tattoo on my arm, yeah. and I was smoking a, a pack a day when I was ten. <laughs> so where were you? Well, I was with Helen for a few days. Okay. I think after Dad may have gone, but it was already determined and, to my knowledge, dictated by my dad that I was going with Tim and Abe okay. and Sandra and Lisa. Okay. Uh, and so I went, we went and visited Abe and Sandra's, they may have had a little 
trailer or something on Tawakani. Oh, okay. And uh, so that's where we were. And I remember spending, it seemed like, all night at one of those little, like a little uh, shack that goes over the lake where people sit in there and fish all night. Okay. Yeah, like a uh, little... Uh, I'd never been in one before, never have again, but uh, that I know of. Mm-hmm. So we did that, and I don't know what else we did, but we did some stuff, and we were coming home. Their dad did everything he could to protect them from Helen during this time, but they couldn't stay away forever. Eventually, they had to go home. They were looking forward to seeing their dad and hopefully being rescued from Helen once and for all. Yeah, I think by the time the Helen incident and him happened, he was not going to be coming around. No, and whenever he had punched her, Mm -hmm. he punched his ticket. I mean, he wasn't coming back. I don't think dad at that point, he just said the gloves are off. Now, guys, y'all just go and do what you can do. Dad was a hard worker. I I would have been more inclined to say, "I, I can't make this trip. But he, he had to finish this trip out. And I, and I think another one at that. So I know I I uh, went to bed that Saturday night. I remember it in Shreveport. Me and Joey had a bed we were both sleeping on. And they had this awesome uh, just bookcase of condensed Reader's Digest. So there would be mm-hmm. all these great stories I kind of knew, but they were condensed. And so not that you could get through it in one day, but I remember I had mine open, he had his open. Woke up that next morning to a great breakfast. Um, getting on uh, I-20 and heading back to Dallas. Mm-hmm. Go west, young man. So this is Sunday. This is Sunday morning, okay. August 13th. And you're still at Tim's? Yeah, I'm at... Uh we came home that morning mm-hmm. from Tawakini. Yeah, and it was Charter Oaks Apartments because okay. I remember Lisa's room and I remember her there, there and, yes. and her girlfriends would come over and they would get ready for to do stuff. Anyway, it was just it was fun over there. Uh, and I think Ken called. Ken, the oldest brother, had reached Helen's house on Margot Street slightly before his two brothers. No. Yes. Ken called Tim and Tim's house and said, "Don't, don't go home. Have you know?" Or he talked to Sandra. I, I'm not sure, but go to Kip's house. That was what the direction I was given, and uh, I don't know if he told Sandra more. He didn't tell me anything, and Sandra was Tim's mother. Tim's mother. But in the days before cell phones, Ken could only reach Richard via landline. There was no way of getting hold of Mike or the family who was taking care of him. But I remember coming home, down that long road in that back seat, just for the first time having this sense that something's not right. Mm. And to this day, I know that, that God has given us in his very own nature, in his own image, a spirit. For God is spirit and we have a spirit. And I felt something was, was mm-hmm. not right at that moment. And as we made that long journey home, I just couldn't get it out of my mind. I got my bag as soon as I got there and I just started making it a fast walk, carrying what I'd packed to come back. 
And when I crossed over Motley and I made it past our street, Hula. Oh, so the, you had gone home with the McCowans and you were getting your stuff to walk home. We, we, we had no idea that anything was a problem. Mike was excited about the plan again as he walked himself home all alone. Was it still daylight? Yes. Okay. It was right at dusk. Sunday night, evening. Sunday, Sunday evening. I can remember when I finally got to Margot and made that um, I seem to remember seeing Dad's truck and thinking, you know, I'm thinking, Dad's home. Mm. At the same time, I remember thinking, are we really going to move? And the sense in his spirit was right. Something was very wrong. But I, I don't know if I'm having this real remorse because it's Sunday late. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if this whole thing, if I am there, maybe I could push Dad into whatever his promise was and we'd move on. But when I turned that corner, I saw that truck. I just thought, oh, I am coming back. Uh, and But Dad's here. And so, although they'd been fighting a lot, Helen was a little more passive when Dad was there. Or maybe there's some moves going on. Who knows? I could come in and say, oh, you already packed my stuff. I five. I hadn't been invented yet, but I'm high fiving you anyway. So I, I remember just walking up to that porch. And uh, there were. So I mean, you'd have to have an arc welder. Who who takes ten dimes and and welds them together so you have this looks like a, a ruler that's just all dimes that are just like glued together, but they're not glued together. They're actually welded together. So you have these 10 dimes that are side by side, making up, you know, a, a, a four or five inch strand of dimes. So I see that, I see some of the, I see what's obviously stains. And I knew those stains hadn't been there. Or maybe this whole feeling that I've been having, it's just saying, this is just too weird. I remember the screen door, being able to turn it and open, uh, and then trying to do the, the door handle to come on in, and it was locked. So I closed it, and so then I just went to the, around the uh, garage that mm -hmm. was facing, uh, that was attached to the house, mm -hmm. that had been turned into a room, and going through that gate and then following it back around to the back of the other garage. And that's when Mr. Kirkland was, mm -hmm. Mr. Kirkland, who was our next door neighbor, right man. But he was plowing in that little backyard he had with his little crop. And uh, he saw me, I saw him. Uh, I, I tried the back doors first. There, there was no getting in. And what was weird, I remember that the, the drapes on the sliding glass door, I could see in to that very informal living room that you and I had fled from. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't see around, I couldn't see anything else. And uh, just enough daylight coming through the front window so you could see inside. And that's when I walked back around and Mr. Kirkham just told me, he asked me, Mike, what are you doing here? I said, man, I just got in. I've been, I've been on a trip with my best friend. And he said, well, you need to go back where you came from. So now I just go back the way I came. And I, I just, you know, you just, I just knew 
I can't say I knew for sure it, it was, but as I'm walking back to Joy, and this is a mile walk, mm-hmm. um, I still got my stuff. I'm taking it back. And I, I no sooner than walked, because I came back to the back alley of Joy's and, and went through his sliding glass door. Mm-hmm. And it was like Joy was there and opened it up. And I walked in and uh, had made it back to his bedroom for whatever reason. Then I was coming out of his back bedroom. His dad caught me in the hall. I remember he put both hands on my shoulders and he said, Mike, Helen shot your daddy. And there were, there were, that's when I could hold no more. And I remember crying immediately and mustered the word, is, is he dead? And he said, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. So I'm like, well, I didn't, wasn't a yes. Um, but he said, we got to go to the police station. They've asked that the family has asked for me to bring you to the Mesquite Police Station. Man, I didn't connect any dots. Like, okay, well, it's not like Dad had a fell asleep behind the wheel of a semi and maybe he'd rolled something or, or, or you know, I mean, he'd been shot. I knew that. And then it wasn't real hard to just think back to Helen and what we had seen. Mm-hmm. You know, well, this has happened. The fathers of their friends who had stood in as makeshift fathers for the Archibalds time and time again were now caring for the boys on the day that their own dad was shot. A neighbor named Mr. Mull was the one who delivered the news to Ken, the oldest Archibald. So where were you at that point? I was spending the night with Kip Mull. Okay. And Um, how did you find out what happened? His dad woke me up and told me. Oh, wow. In the morning? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. And what did you think? Well, what he told me was that uh, he was very honest. Uh, he woke me up, and of course, um, he said, uh, uh, Ken, you you need to come with me. I need to take you home. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been an accident, oh. and your dad's been shot. Oh. So he didn't say there's just been an accident and there's something wrong with your dad. Right. He said your dad's been shot. Right. right? That's all he said. Uh-huh. He didn't say, oh, and, and he's dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, again, Kip lived within uh, a four-minute walk. Oh. Uh, and I'm not for sure if we even got in Mr. Mull's car. I think okay. we just might have walked. He, he was very protective of me that day, that mm-hmm. morning. So... Uh, he, he was like a dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you got to the house? Yeah. And you saw cops, police officers yeah. and all that? Yeah. And the ambulance. Oh, so dad was still there? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, of course, when they brought him out covered. Oh, that, wow. Then that means he was dead. Yeah. I didn't, so, there, was no, there was nothing graphic about it. So but, but you saw that? Yeah. You saw the white sheet? Well, I don't even know dead. if it was a white sheet or well, whatever it was. Whatever it was. Yeah, he was covered, yeah. I mean, they, what did they, you think? Oh, I knew he was dead. I mean, were you like, oh my, I mean, were you like... I don't, you know, that's a good question. Uh, were you asking how? Did you just no, intuitively know no. based on what had happened? Ken, Mike, and Richard finally saw the terrible answer to all this confusion right before their eyes. Yeah, Abe and Sandra was dad and mom. Uh, and so she took me to 
to Kip's, Kip's house. And I remember being there and this, the way the sun was shining and all, it seemed like it was still morning to me. It could have been noon, but it wasn't the yellowish color of the day yet. And people coming up to me and like, that I didn't know, saying they were sorry. And, but no one had told me, okay, what, mm. thanks. What for? And then finally, I guess it was Ken. That he arrived? Or he was already there this entire it time? It seems like he was already there. But I don't, I don't know for sure. It's all kind of fuzzy. But someone, and I would think it was Ken, said, well, you know, Dad was, was shot. Just no holds, no no punches held back, man. Just finally, Ken probably had to work up the nerve and tell you. Yeah, and I don't remember. There... Did y'all go anywhere? Did y'all just stay there? Was there any... It seems like we just stayed there. It seems like Sandra stayed with me a bit. I know, I know all of this. I know we have discussed all of this. But for the life of me today, I can't remember me and you ever talking about where you were and, and how you found out no, I don't either. The journey of processing their father's death began that day and still continues today as the brothers piece fragments of their memories together. And I remember saying, well, shouldn't we be at a hospital or something? And he said, well, he's dead. And then it was just the realization of it And the odd feeling that I felt of freedom. Mm. I feel guilty to this day for it. But I knew at that point, I will never have to deal with that woman again. And I don't even think at the time I knew she shot him. Uh, but for some reason, I knew I wasn't going back to her. Uh, so that's how I found out. What did you do? I mean, did you, I mean, you've got this feeling of, and by the way, I had the same thing when I was told, so you shouldn't feel remorse about it. That was the environment that we were in. If dad would have been a little more powerful to where he was indeed going to be digging us out of this very abusive situation that we were in, we might have we might have said, well, if Dad could have just made it a little bit longer or if we could have just made this move. But it had been back and forth so many times. This was just going to be another stop along the way. It, I, I never considered that this is the only way this is going to end, whether it would be one of us. I can I can remember thinking maybe it will be Ken. Mm. That, well, that she, cause if she was going to take that weapon that we had saw her pull, and Dad was going to just come back at some point in time. She was going to use it on either you or Ken. And and uh, I walked in. And uh, 
front sergeant was like, can I help you? And uh, he, Mr. Oh, man. Uh, he had his arm around me. And Mr. McCowan was a big man. I mean, he wasn't real tall, but he was mm-hmm. he was wide. He was an offensive line coach. So mm-hmm. he, and uh, we walked in, can I help you? And yeah, he's here to see about his daddy. There's been an accident. That's the way he's been an accident. Oh, is this, this is Kenneth Archibald? And he said, yeah, yeah. And he just, I remember, he just said, they have, the family was just here, and they've went to look for a funeral home. So, hey, I'm I'm 15, right, about, so you, okay, dad's gone. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't cry, not there. I remember Mr. McCown walking out, and he put me back into his AMC Pacer, whatever he drove. Uh... We are now going back to his house. There are no cell phones. Don't know where y'all are. God just said a funeral home. I remember on the way back, he said, you know, if you want to cry, you can. And I just said, I'm not going to cry. And when we got back to McCown's house, y'all were there. Okay. I remember I saw Ken, and I too, so you should never feel guilty. I said, well, at least we're away from Helen. And Ken said, I would live in Helen's house for another 50 years to have Dad alive. And I remember thinking, well, yeah. I remember, living, I remember thinking, well, yeah, you weren't living there like we were. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, literally, that, that came into my mind. Yeah, and then from there, I again, it's all a blur. But uh, I guess funeral happened pretty quick, right? You remember when we were given the opportunity to go back into the house? No. Well, let me rephrase. We were given the opportunity to have someone bring us things from the house. I don't remember who went in, but I do remember Tim's mother... When we got in her car and we were heading back to, and I'm thinking it was her place. We are going to stay with Tim McDonald. Mm-hmm. They were good people. Charter Oaks. Yep. She did ask us, do you remember? She, she said, do you want to know where your father was shot? I don't, I don't know why she wanted to ask us that. But I remember saying, yeah. And she said in the back of the head. And then it, it just, there you go. I can see that happening. I, 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 it just all, oh, that's exactly what happened. She was saying this again, and Dad was doing his little turn where he was going to walk out. Got the door in. Police report. I remember when it was in the newspaper. A couple, two, three days later. Because this is big news from Ski. Um. It had a quote, the officer said, and Helen Archibald, whenever we arrived, uh, I guess, she, oh, yeah, she called the police. Mm. And said, I shot my husband. Wow. Cops arrived. I just had this feeling they were trying to push a door open whenever there was a body there. 
but they got in and, and Helen, as soon as she walked in, she goes, I shot Kenneth, the gun's on the stairs. So right there, when you walk in that front door, you had the stairs where it'd make its curve. And she had, she had put that, I guarantee that weapon, right there at the top of those stairs where it made the turn to go all yeah, the way up. landing. And I'm assuming there were blood stains where they had pulled him out or where it had leaked through or whatever because it would have been right there at the front door. Mm-hmm. And then we were, yeah, back at... No family around. With their mother still undergoing mental health treatment, the boys found themselves on their own once again. And Ken had to step into some very adult roles at the age of 17. I don't remember where I stayed that Sunday night. I don't either. I figured I, I went with Sandra and Abe. Well, you, you, you may have, but, um, and I have no idea quite frankly where I stayed. Um, but at some point, I'm at Uncle Calvin's house on the phone calling our relatives. Mm. Aunt Virginia and Uncle Charlie are in Las Vegas. Yeah, Nevada. yeah. And, and um, I mean, I had to call mom. Mm. Um, and Uncle Calvin was helping me every step of the way, but he wow. was deeply involved in this. Because mom came down. Mom would have been at a, I won't call it a halfway house. Mm-hmm. I won't call it a mental institution. But it was definitely a place. It, it was a home. It was some sort of a home. And I remember her getting there. And that's who I sat next to the entire time of the funeral. I remember taking a, a slight census as when people were coming to look at the casket. Mm-hmm. Casket was open. Mm-hmm. It was. I remember that. Yeah. I do remember that because Dad's nose was not really, his nose. No, it was messed up. And they mm-hmm. told us that the force of the shot, his face hit the front, the door, you know, mm-hmm. so it smashed his face in. And so they had to, like, work on his nose, and it didn't look like him. didn't look like his nose. I think it was my first funeral ever to go to. So I didn't know this open casket thing, what what a dead person looks like. And, mm. and uh, but I remember finally Ken came back and started coaching us. And worked us in to have some courage to go in there. Mm-hmm. And honestly, when I got in there, it's kind of like Richard. It, it wasn't as. I mean, I, I maintained better than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. But it was a definite. I don't. Is that what you look like when you die? Because I don't really recognize who that is. Mm-hmm. I mean, even his hair seemed like it. It was. Maybe it's because the way they, you know, Dad always had his part, and they were just kind of combing it straight back, and it just didn't look like Dad at all. I know he had on his, like, leisure suit. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, Dad's more, he's not going to be wearing a leisure suit. He definitely wouldn't be wearing a tie or anything, but a leisure suit was even a stretch for him. And, uh... Yeah, I mean, I don't don't even, I don't know if anyone told me, but in my little 12-year-old head... I was thinking that his hair was that way, and I, I thought the back of his he didn't look 3D so much, and I, I just thought, well, I mean, the back of his head's probably gone. Mm-hmm. So that looked different. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It wasn't like his whole round head laying yeah. on the pillow. 
And I remember that. Mm. Uh, and now that I've been to a lot of funerals, it was different than... Uh, so, so that was a little different, too, which maybe it was those things, the combination of those where they were thinking, should we even have an open casket mm-hmm. or what they did. So were other family members, were they upset? Mm-hmm. And even as Kenneth was on his way to the grave, Helen's presence followed the Archibalds. Who dealt with the uh, flowers? Did LD do that? Or I, I don't remember the moment. I remember probably hearing about it more than anything when Helen sent flowers. And they got them out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was kind of a, I don't know, I just remember a minor commotion. Do you know... But, did she get out on bail quickly, or do you? I, I have no idea. I'd love to know. And, you know, when she gets arrested, I mean, I I think I don't know. I thought, and I've thought, uh, as a result of how little time she had to serve after the appeal, that she was incarcerated during that time period. And because she got credit for a whole lot of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a good question. I don't, I don't know where she was or what she was doing. I just remember uh, just laying on my mom's shoulder. Uh, we were at the end of a pew. Mm-hmm. I could kind of see the divider and I could kind of see out there a little bit. And I remember just, just bawling. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I was so caught up in just the overall experience that was going on around mm-hmm. me, as much as it was just knowing Dad was gone. Yeah, I think that was a couple of weeks later mm. before that started to hit. Right. When the funeral ended, there was no one to receive the boys into a new family. Their mother still couldn't care for them. Their father, their only hope of stability, was gone. They just had each other. They floated around from relative to relative until Kenneth's sister, their Aunt Virginia, took them in. One thing was made certain. Their father's brown pickup truck was going to the Archibald boys. Well, there was something about our truck. Well, my dad's truck, pickup truck. And Helen had it, right? Yeah, yeah. And like maybe Tommy, her brother or something, was kind of driving it around and... Uncle Archie just wasn't having that. He's like, that's, that is his pickup. It belongs to you kids. And so I think he tried to get the police to help. They're like, well, until this all gets kind of settled out, we don't know who owns what. Mm -hmm. So, so he just said, fine. He just figured out where it was, went over there, stole it and brought it back. I think he even called the police and said, oh I goodness. took it. I have it. And it's, it's, it's these kids. And they said, well, like we said before, we're not going to do anything about it. <laughs> you know, and so nothing ever came of it. But he, but he just took you, it. I can tell you this. Helen was out. Right. Helen was out. Yep. So she had gotten bail and she was out. Um, the house, obviously, no one's living there. So they're in like the days in off of Gross and 635. Oh, uh-huh. So Archie finds out where it is. I don't know. 
how he does this. Uh, and Ken goes with him. Oh, wow. And Uncle Archie is packing a thirty-eight. And, um, oh, you know what? I think the police told him where Helen was. Okay? That, that, they were yeah. just like, I knew what, I can't, I can, we can't do a stolen truck thing here, but she's at the Spanish Trails Inn yeah. <laughs> or off the 635 or whatever. Yeah, that's where you'll find the truck. And so Archie went there, baby, and he had every intent of hoping that she would come out and try to stop him because he he had every intent of paying her back. But he hot-wired it. Mm. I think he, no, no, they had another key somewhere. Yeah, I think that's right, yeah. Anyway, they got Dad's Ford F100 1974 model pickup back. Virginia. Their aunt's name meant pure. And indeed, the boys finally found themselves in a pure, calm, and caring home. But old habits die hard, and the boys still wandered the streets from time to time. One day, as they were out walking, they found a church. But see, my memory of the church is uh, seeing it over there. And going there, like walking. Yes, y'all to the walk. church. Well, you came in folded bulletins, remember? Right. Yes, I, I remember. So we went to the church on our own. Not long after, someone knocked on their door and changed their life. Normally, Uncle Charlie had this joke: if someone would knock on the door, he would just yell, "Go away!" And uh, this time, someone knocked, and he went, "Go away!" <laughs> But Aunt Virginia went and got the door and opened it up, and it was somebody from West Rockwall Baptist Church that would just say, we're, we're coming to the neighborhood. We're starting to, we got a church out here in the marina. We'd love for you to come. Mm-hmm. And uh, Aunt Virginia was bound and determined when that door was closed. She just walked back in the living room, and she told us, Uncle Charlie, including, we were going to go to church this Sunday. Oh, wow. So y'all went that Sunday? We went that next Sunday. We would have visited, I guess, two or three times. <clears throat> I mean, straight. These wow. are these are in the marina. So just the metal chairs. There's probably right. you know, right. Ten chairs on each side, six <laughs> rows deep on each side. A nice little middle aisle, so that we had an invitation. People could come down. Yeah. And it was like the third service, and the whole family went down. Mm. Wow. Um, was Ken involved in this? I don't. I don't think so. I okay. Don't think so. So it was the two of you and Rhonda and Craig and Jen and Charlie. Yeah. And this is where you know, Kelly. It wasn't like today when you, you go and join a church. They kind of send you to the encouragement room. So right. You no. Can, you can. <laughs> I mean, this was where you came up. And you stood in front of everybody right. and, and Stroop said, I want to welcome the Chafin family. And then this is Mike and Richard Archibald. And so let's just welcome them as, as yeah. members. Yeah. And uh, and was it was it even, was it Stroop then? Yeah. Okay. It was just. So that was 80. Yeah. So what was significant about that? Uh, friends. Mm. Uh, a community. Uh, you know, there was, 
I had some friends at school. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg Thorson, Craig Cuny, and Kevin Stewart. They were my closest friends at that time. Uh, that's who we did everything with. Mm-hmm. Or I did everything with. But it wasn't, it was just at school. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, they, I think you had some friends that lived over on our side of the lake, but for the most part, my friends lived, because, you know, it was long distance to call. Right. It was, it was like, we were in the school district somehow, I guess, because of Rockwell County, but, uh, you know, you couldn't go visit your friends across the lake. Right. Uh so church was like it was like another group mm-hmm. of friends that would that was significant with the youth group mm-hmm. uh, that developed pretty quickly. Right. Uh, so yeah, that was significant. And there were always activities. Yeah. Camp. Camps. Steve would let me. Uh, Set up and tear down for Wednesday night meals. You still get to do that. Kind oh, of at stuff. church, right? <laughs> uh, and he would. Uh, I don't know if he physically paid me or he gave me credits toward camp. Mm-hmm. I don't remember, but mm-hmm. that's how I was able to work to go to camp. So that was very good of him. Uh, so I did that and went to camp and. And is that's where we found the cross. Oh yeah, you know, for real, for real. I mean, I can remember um, just God calling me down and, and coming to terms with what what the cross represented and how that built a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Through Jesus, right? I mean, I I, th- I started to comprehend through that time that there is three persons united into one God, and mm-hmm. I, I can remember actually thinking and struggling with right. that. I mean, how, how is that supposed to work? Um, but it, to me, there was I I would I don't know where I would have been. Mm. If, if that little marina wouldn't have been there and we wouldn't have walked there and then eventually we all be, I mean, I got baptized with Aunt Virginia. I mean, the, I don't remember Uncle Charlie getting baptized. Do you, Rich? I'd, maybe. Maybe? Maybe, yeah. I don't have a clear memory, but something tells me yes. I mean, we, we were washed in the water. Mm-hmm. and um, Were you baptized in the lake? No, First Baptist. No. Oh, okay. They Steve did, did it, but, but we, we borrowed okay. First Baptist. Okay. We were, we were. I think the time of the year made the, the lake. <laughs> and oh. it, it was getting more difficult, that old boat ramp. Yes. But um, there was, there was an, a, an obvious change in us. And, and, and I know when we were, we were in, we were in high school together. Two years apart, right? Mm-hmm. We were we were Bible bearing, yeah, kids going to school. Yeah, and our our youth group. What was neat about it is, the youth group at church had 
literally all kinds. Right. You know, when you have this group from high school, this group from high school, the football players, the basketball players, the cheerleaders, the band people, the people that didn't do anything. Uh, but it wasn't like when we were at church, we were together, and then we went to school and we weren't. We were always together. Mm-hmm. You know, we were always friends everywhere. It was... That was really significant. It was. Yeah. And uh, in a, in a real... Maybe the start, for me anyway, of building trusting relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever you would have people that straight up might not be your friend at school because you're not as cool as them or whatever, but that did not matter. That was not. Wow. So that was. Because you went to church with them. Right. Wow. That's huge. Yeah, that was huge. And I remember it really like, I just thought that was the neatest thing. I couldn't have, I couldn't have imagined going to, to school without our youth group. I, I know. You know what I mean? It's, I yeah. mean, it was truly, if you got a, a problem or if you needed, any, you, we were all, we were just loving on one another as, and it, we, we were reaching people for Jesus. I mean, there was something just absolutely anointed about that time. Uh, I mean, if I'm going to date somebody, it's going to be somebody in, in our youth group. You know, that, that's how close I was. I mean, I don't know who this other girl is, but Kim Watson, man. I got a crush on her. <laughs> yeah. You know. Wow. Um, and then people would, people in our group would get a girlfriend or whatever. Mm-hmm. But they would end up coming to the church, you know, yeah. and suddenly they were part of the youth group. And Wow. Uh, that is so healthy. Yeah, it was. it really was. What a blessing for everybody. Yeah, and I don't even think we took it for granted then. Mm. You know, we, I think, I know we did. We appreciated it. So, yeah, it was good. The worst was over. The abuse, confusion, and fear had passed, and those things would stay at the cross forever. The best was just beginning. Ken married Nancy Mays and thrived in his career in insurance. They now have two children and three grandchildren. So, Ken, looking back, what would you tell yourself, your young self? And you can choose an age. Knowing, having gone through all that you've gone through, what would you tell yourself? Like your your Buckner self or your teenage self? Yeah. Well, it kind of goes back to my dream that I told you about. Mm-hmm. I'm, this is probably not very Christian. It's probably not very uh, godlike. But I, I think what I would have told myself is, man, you take those kids mm-hmm. and you get somewhere and you take complete charge of everything that you're thinking and quit thinking it and just go do it. And if that means that you walk into a police department mm-hmm. or if that means that you walk in and you just say, there's some crap going on here that we don't need to be dealing with, 
and and we want out of this. Mm. And um, what I would have told myself was that you just tell your dad that he's out of his mind, and and that's not good. Because uh, but and you just needed to at, at sixteen years old. Or okay, so you're talking about say my Buckner self. Yeah. That may not that may but yeah, at that point it would be you take those two boys and and um and and you go somewhere mm-hmm. and you uh, turn yourselves in and say we we are not I don't know what the future is gonna look like, right. but it ain't gonna look like that. Mm-hmm. I I sh- what I would tell myself was to have been more assertive. Being the oldest Archibald and trying to navigate the chaos on behalf of his brothers left Ken with some scars. Uh, and uh, that goes back to the, the dream that I have where Helen and Dad knocked on the door at Highview and they said, we're here to get the boys. And it's the two of you, but I'm the Ken Archibald that I am right now. And I just look at him and go, are, are you both out of your minds? If you think I'm going to let y'all ever see these two children ever again in your lifetime. And and they're like, and you know, dad, you know, oh, I said, you have no idea what I can do to you. You know, you have no idea what my, I'd I, I, I regret thinking what my money can do to you too. I, I'll, I'll have y'all so far deep in, in a hole that you'll, you, and, and I said, turn around and get. And they had no alternative but to do what I said. And I used to wake up from that dream and Nancy can tell you, I, I, I was liberated. And I, I'm mad to this day. <laughs> the Lord took that dream away from me is what he did. Because it wasn't good to be having, but it made me feel like that's what I mean. I don't mean that's mm-hmm. exactly what I'd tell myself is you should have taken charge, and you should have just cut through all of their crap and found a way to protect these kids. Mike married Tracy Thomas, not his girlfriend from Buckner, Tracy Cass. He works in information technology. They have two children and one grandchild. Two days after Christmas, 1984, mm-hmm. December 27th, 1984, me and Timbo would still run around a lot. And uh, he invited me to help him out. That he had a girlfriend who had a friend, and uh, the friend was willing to do a blind date. If you're willing to do a blind date, I don't even think we really, I think Susan and Tim who were boyfriend and girlfriend. Susan knew Tracy. Of course, I knew Tim. And so we met at a nightclub. And uh, I, I, I think I've, I, I fell in love pretty quick mm-hmm. with Tracy, um, although I didn't show it. and But I did kind of show it because I made a lot of promises <laughs> on things that I really couldn't deliver. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> this was this was back when I guess uh was it Prince 
was kind of rocking and rolling. It was kind of the wind doves cry. Purple rain. Days. Purple rain, man. Yeah. And, and so uh, he was coming for like a January second concert. Oh, uh-huh. At reunion, right? At reunion, and I told Tracy, you know, man, you know, I, I got me some Prince tickets. I wasn't making any commitment to her. But I was just letting her know that I had this kind of stuff and that I was the end guy. Um, I never had any. I never had any tickets at all. Um, I don't know how I ever finagled not to, to be. I, I guess it pushed him to shove. With all the connections that I had, I could have found right, something. Right, right. You know, it never really materialized. Uh, she found out I, I never had them. But um, I guess uh, we dated from that day for like a year and two weeks and then we were married wow and uh she she really opened the world to me Hmm. as far as life does go on we do live normal lives we find the person that that god had intended for us and then we start spending our life with them. And it wasn't like it was always easy. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just, we're still kids, you know, 21 and 19 or whatever. And so um, we're still having Timbo come over and just completely just hang out all night long with his buddy drinking or whatever. So we had a lot to learn. But um, it was because she was going to college. Mm-hmm. And... Um, her mom was uh, a great math teacher and now a counselor, Plano East, and she kept reinforcing the need for me to, to go to college. Mm-hmm. Um, I had reimbursement from Lone Star Gas, so the oh, wow. tuition reimbursement. Uncle Jerry was also going to college, and he was like, Mike, you need to think about a, a career in IT, so I said, why not? And I guess uh, we were married in January 86, about December 1990. I had my degree in information technology from wow. Texas Arlington. And, uh, you know, we lived in our own little apartment. Richard wandered around some more. He worked for a restaurant and moved to several cities, finally landing in Long Beach, California, where he graduated from Cal State Long Beach with a degree in political science. So you, then you went to law school. Yeah, I went to law school. Richard attended University of Pennsylvania School of Law and married yours truly. We have three children. And once Richard completed his law degree, his life came full circle in a way he never would have guessed. Became an attorney. And who swore you in? Uh, Jerry Holden Meyer swore me into the Texas State Bar, who was our prosecutor that prosecuted Helen. She had become a judge. So... Looking back, when you were a child, would you have imagined that your life would have ended up the way it is? I would not have. I'm not saying that I ever imagined what my life would end up like. I don't think I really went there much. Mm -hmm. But I I do even remember our first house, which was your house, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Just thinking, wow, I have a house. Mm. I I just sort of thought I'd live in an apartment. Mm. I I never really saw 
I well, saw career, but I didn't see yeah. life, home. living home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wanted to be a lawyer. I, I hoped to do well at it. It wasn't really a money thing for me. Uh, it was really the inspiration of Jerry Holden Meyer that made me want to do that. And it just, I just got sidetracked from that for a few years with Beer Peretti's because of the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you didn't have any vision of what life could could be like as no, an adult. I probably started getting one uh-huh. when I was an adult and right before law school. Mike was not ashamed to share the rocky healing journey he experienced. So what about you, Mike? You know, I guess I had... Um, I'd sort of just envisioned that I would, I don't know, work for the post office or get a government job and that, that really any type of, of college or anything, you know, maybe even drive a truck. I, I, I just didn't see necessarily my path um, I don't I don't I just I, I know that uh, there were bumps after all the dust had settled right I mean I, I there was times where I just was bandaging my wounds Mm -hmm. with um, just, I don't know, not really living for the future and just trying to self-medicate myself, you know? And it it experimented with various types of ways to self-medicate. I mean, there was was counseling for me. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, it was Dr. Jack that simply kind of heard where I had been. And and I will say this, I've never felt that there was any desire to ever hurt anybody Mm -hmm. in me. There was never a desire to hate other people. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where that framework and that, that grounding came. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not saying that other people that maybe had such a, a life that was all over the place would would not necessarily still grow up a loving human being. Mm-hmm. But um, when, whenever I had met with, with Dr. Jack and, and he had heard where Richard and I had been, mm-hmm. and he was like, what you have and where you're struggling with, we can, this is, this is, he didn't say tame, but he said, man, compared to where you really should be. Right. Um, you're married. You have two children. You have a college degree. And you have a pretty good job. Now, this this could all fall apart if we don't get this under control. Mm-hmm. But... Um, that's when I started to realize that there was something in the, the first 28, 29, 30 years of my life that even probably as a youngster somehow took hold mm-hmm. to where throughout all of this, um, we were going to be okay. 
we had made it through mm-hmm. to everything. There is a season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying we were the Israelites thinking we're going to cross the, the, you know, uh, the Red Sea and everything was going to be fine from that point going mm-hmm. forward. But it looks like that, you know what? You can put the past behind you. Uh, God does know the plans that he has for you and they are for your good. They are not for your demise. And once God started to really just take hold of our family mm-hmm. and uh, you start to read his word, you start to play that back. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's like a crossword puzzle you could never put together because you really couldn't really find the corner pieces. But when you actually did, the picture that gets painted and put together was something good. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time not to always just kind of dwell on the past mm-hmm. and always think I'm in trouble or right. that there's something lurking around the corner. Or as even in our early marriage, things would happen and I would tell Trey, well, the only reason this is happening is my name is Mike. It's the only reason, this is the only reason this could be happening. You know, just, I didn't have anything to do with it. I'm just an innocent victim here. Um, after a while, that that got um, pushed away and pushed aside. And, uh, I mean, two beautiful girls. I'm going to be a granddad before I can... I know. Both love the Lord. Uh-huh. Both love the Lord. And, and uh, my two brothers love the Lord. Um so what would you say to your 15-year-old self? I would tell my 15-year-old self to hang on to that initial seed of faith that you have. And I wish I wouldn't have lost that time. Mm. I'd also tell that 15-year-old self, because of my faith, there's something far greater Mm. at work um, mm. other than the human flesh that could either harm me or how I can make mistakes that you can live life in peace a peace that surpasses all understanding mm. mm-hmm. and just live your life what's behind is behind and you, you can never no one can plow field looking backwards right because you just tear the crop so you know just you just understand it it's all over Mm-hmm. And it's all come together. And there is so much breath to breathe in, not just of the world, but just spiritually in what God would want you to do with your life. And, man, that's a big, that's a tall order for a 15-year-old. Yeah. If, if I were trying to teach that right. to myself, I know. I'd have a hard time even right. understanding what I'm talking about. I know. Since you were younger, um, what would you tell your 10-year-old self? Yeah, well, my... 10-year-old self, it's it's almost more like I wish my 10-year-old self could tell me now or could have told me when I was 25. But because my 10-year-old self was uh, tenacious, I just knew how to survive. Uh, and I had learned how to just survive and uh, so really what would I tell my 10 year old self would be you're going to get through this and to look 
further than just tomorrow. Hmm. Because that's really what I... There's something about my 10-year-old self that I'd like to tell myself now, which is live for the day, live in the moment that you're in. Mm -hmm. Because we so don't do that, we get caught up in what's going to happen tomorrow. What about next week? I have a trial in October. That's all I can think about. So I'm not enjoying the time that I have with my people. Uh, My 10-year-old self lived right then and there. Mm. And there was something good about that. Two days from now didn't matter. I just needed to get through the day. So that I would, I'd like to take from my 10-year-old self. Mm -hmm. But to tell my 10-year-old self, it's more of plan for something bigger than what you're in. Mm -hmm. Don't let this take you and take up everything that you are and destroy you mm-hmm. because that's what it did to me for so long. My ability to be comfortable with uncle Charles, my ability to, to have relationships, my inability to even want to have relationships, uh, because I didn't trust them, uh, to not let what I was going through, take that from me and see people as good, uh, because that really limited the planning I did in my life. The you know, while it may look to some as if I was aiming high the whole time to 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 go to an Ivy League law school, that really wasn't it, it just sort of I just tried to do my best every day. Mm. And and I just sort of ended up there because I was doing what the best I could every day. And that's important too. Yeah. But it was sort of like, so what is that g- getting me? Where am I going? What is my plan? Uh, so it worked out <laughs> the way that I was, the way maybe Helen helped make me just get through every day as best I could. That worked. But I would want to tell my 10-year-old self, to broaden those horizons mm-hmm. and, 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 and be intentional about what you're doing instead of just letting the stream take you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if there's a child in a situation like yours, what do you want them to come away with from listening to this? That there are good people in the world that will help you, that will help heal your emotional wounds that I'm sure that they're experiencing it. And and that God still wants you to have a meaningful life. Mm And what you're going through will be used or can be used by God to help other people in the similar situation and to help you be attuned to those people, Mm. to help you see what's going on with people. And sort of there's an empathy that I can experience from what I've been through uh, that I think other people can't. so it's not good, but it can be used for good. Mm-hmm. And as long as you get through every day, 
and a lot of people that are in the middle of this, that's really all they're really worried about. Mm -hmm. Just get through every day and and know that there's going to be another side of this. Mm -hmm. You'll get to the end of this time, and there's something good waiting for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. That's what I hope they take away. How about you? I I would just, uh, in that same way, to tell them to... Be courageous. Um, let them know that um, God has a plan for them and that um, um, they are meaningful, that they do have purpose. They were created for a reason. They are a child of God and that no matter what they might feel, it's not their fault. They are they are um, in every way um uh, the kind of child that every other child is. It, it's just a product of where they are and the, and the people that are at fault are not them, but those that are over them. And that, to your point, Richard, that you will get through it. And it's going to feel very, very tough. And it's going to hurt a lot. And you're going to feel like the next day. But just um, stay courageous, stay strong, um, and... Uh, Understand also that no matter what's going on in your life, there's probably somebody that has it 10 times as bad as you do. Um, Don't feel sorry for yourself because God has created you for a mighty purpose. And um, you'll get through it. And when you do, when you do, that life experience is going to prepare you for the next journey that you're going to have. It was all done... not saying God planned it that we went through what we went through, but He took every single bit of that and created and molded us into something that um, if most people that know us know where we have been to where we are now, they say almost miracle that you boys have survived with what you went through. And so I would just tell them, you stay strong. You believe in yourself. And uh, don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Whether you're short and somebody's taller, that doesn't mean anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's hard to register for a youngster. Mm-hmm. Because all you're into where you are, Richard, every moment, was what's going to happen today. Yeah. And you know what else is like, uh, count on your people. You know, be, uh, be loyal to your people. Because they're going to be loyal to you. And I think that, you know, I was never in the military, so I don't have that experience. But the the brotherhood that Mike and me developed because of going through all that together uh, would never, well, I don't say would never, but it wouldn't be the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm... I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Uh, so there is that too when you're going through those things with mm-hmm. others. Uh, is those will be bonds that will carry you through mm-hmm. life. The desire for sharing this story is to bring hope to people in the midst of similar trials. It brings to mind the verse Genesis fifty twenty. You intended to harm me. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. 
you for listening to this episode of Kaval the Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and that you will subscribe, download, and share this on your social media pages and with your family and friends. If you find yourself in a desperate place, it is our desire that you would be able to borrow hope from those who've gone before you and shared their stories. They have exemplified the meaning of Kaval learning to wait during difficult times to find an eventual positive outcome. I can't express my gratitude for my head writer, Rebecca Gray, and audio engineer, Meredith Douglas. I would not be able to do this without you. For more information, please visit kavathepodcast.com. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.